Hi, I'm Patrick Palmer, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background is that Favro customers are enterprises that want to be more agile, software as a service companies that want to have more flat organizations while they grow, and the game developers and publishers that want to keep their marketing and product and operations in sync when they ship on a weekly basis. So we get to know some truly inspiring leaders and we interview them in this podcast so we can all learn from them. Let's go. And we are uh, live with uh, Marcus Haltonen. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Patrick. All right, cool. So I think that um, uh, a lot of people uh, recognize the success of uh, Small Giant Games. And, and you being one of the founders and CTO through this journey, I think it would be super cool to just hear you know, you know, your story, you know, leading up to, to, you know, what you do today. Yeah, I've been doing software development professionally for over 20 years, uh, probably since the start of 2000. And, uh, and in, in 2004, uh, I, I joined this company called uh, Sulake as a senior software developer. And, uh, and most people probably don't know Sulake, uh, but they might know this product called Habbo Hotel, which was this virtual world for, for teenagers. And, uh, over there, I, I took on more and more leadership uh, responsibility over the years, and eventually I was the CTO there for about one and five, one and a half years. And uh, even though Hubbo Hotel was very successful in its heyday, it was not doing that well for, for many years. So near the end of 2012, uh, I, we had to let go a large number of people again, and I was asking myself, like, is this what I want to do with the rest of my life? Uh, and the answer was no. Um, so although uh, Sulake was a great learning experience on what works, and even more importantly, what doesn't work, it was my time to figure out something else. And that kind of took me to, to Small Giant. So in the beginning of, beginning of 2013, uh, one of my colleagues from Sulake, Otto Nieminen, contacted me, and, and he suggested founding a gaming company together. And it just felt like an opportunity that I didn't want to miss. So we were joined by two very talented graphics designers, Tommy Wallista and Ilka Juoperi, and pretty soon also Timo Soinen, who used to be the CEO at Sulake in the, in the early days. So, and that's, that's how, kind of like how we got, got started with this awesome story. You know, Sweden, you know, where I'm from, there's for sure quite a lot of uh, success stories uh, around, you know, game students, but, but Finland is, is extraordinary. Um, and, um, uh, and, and and I think, you know, when you are in, in, in the industry and you meet people around the world, uh, it's not it's not seldom that you meet someone who's who's Finnish. Um, I think, where in the world are you right now, actually? I'm actually in, in Finland. So I was, as you know, I was, I was visiting the US for about four months, but now back here in Finland. So, so you're spreading a little bit of that, you know, Finnish culture to, to, the, to the Bay Area. <laughs> Um, so, so, so speaking about culture, then um, I a lot of people that you know I had on this podcast um, when when they're talking about you know the the success of, of the studio, very often you know one way or the other you know it, it, it will you know come down to how they talk about culture, and and I think um, I think this is um, a very interesting you know topic here for today, and and you know I, I know that you've been you've been thinking this through a bit and kind of you know broken it down. Um, so, so let, let's let's get into you know like your thoughts around you know building that that success culture at, at small giant games because I, I think we can all learn from it. I'm I'm wondering like maybe it, it makes sense for me to tell a little bit like 
it doesn't answer directly your question right now, but just a little bit background still about about what we did at Small Giant and how how we get to where got to where we are right now, and then I could answer some questions about the culture. So, so one of the first games that or like our first game was called Oddwings Escape, uh, which was this beautiful flying game. It gained a lot of positive visibility, but it had a bunch of conceptual issues. Uh, most importantly, it it didn't monetize pretty much at all. And I our biggest mistake there was that uh, we developed it for for far too long uh, before getting it in front of actual people. And uh, but we we took a lot of learnings learnings from that. I think one of the one key aspect which I'm going to be talking more later, but one key aspect of Small Giant is is to be continuously learning <laughs> from our successes and and our mistakes, and we certainly make a made a bunch of mistakes with Oddwings Escape. Then our second game was Rope Racers, uh, which is which was this asynchronous multiplayer running game, and we did it almost to prove to ourselves that we can we can actually get the game out very quickly, and pretty much all the KPIs were better uh, than with uh, than with Oddwings Escape, and that game paid its development costs back, but uh, I, I still wouldn't call it a success either. And and then, of course, Empires and Puzzles, which is this free-to-play RPG game with uh, has this cool and unique combination of base building, hero collection, and match three battles, and, and that game, of course, has been extremely successful. So by the by the time uh, we we launched Empires and Puzzles, the team size had grown from from five people to about a dozen people, and then driven by the success of Empires and Puzzles, we've grown the team all the way to about seventy people. So it's been an interesting interesting <laughs> growth path and and experience, and certainly I think uh, you we've had to make a conscious effort in in trying to trying to keep the like make sure that the culture remains. Like we want it to be, and um, you know, if, if we continue from that, I mean, do you? Um, I mean, you said learning both from the successes and and um, you know and and the failures. Um, I am, um, uh, you know, it's quite common, you know, you know, people talking around having a you know culture where you know failure is accepted. You know, you you always learn from it. Um, I like the fact that you said also learning from the successes. Um, how did you? Um, I'm trying to find the right word. Um, how, how did you let's say make this a system? You know, um, you know, like a continuous practice. Did you do you, do you see what I mean? I think it's like uh, partially. It's uh, partially. It's about uh, like basically you you have to like when when you implement like you spend let's say two years creating a game and and the game is not successful you kind of have to look yourself in the mirror mirror and and understand that like uh, it's clear that something did not go go right so you have to figure out <laughs> what were the mistakes that you made and and we do, took those learnings to rope racers and and then then to empires and puzzles so so i think it's uh, it's mostly about like kind of like self reflection uh, i would say all right. Um, how? I mean, what kind of cadence would you say that you were using at Small Giant for this? I mean, it says. I mean, I guess the most seldom would be kind of a, a post mortem uh, in the end of. Well, I guess it's very hard to define an end, right, to a game like that. But, but I think it's yeah. We certainly like uh, like what what we try to do uh, throughout our our like our work is is identify these things 
as they happen happen so to speak so let's say we're we're doing so, developing something and and somebody starts to feel like okay this is this might no longer be the best way of doing things as say the team size has grown or or we've learned more and uh, and we decide to like they would bring it up we would have a discussion and and agree how could we do better so uh, i think this initially at least this happened pretty naturally throughout um throughout the work. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, if this doesn't happen frequently, for example, when we started a new game team, uh, we actually introduced uh, like uh, retrospectives specifically for this purpose. So to get the, get the discussion going. And of course, as you said, uh, but at, at least at the end of a, end of a project, you, you would have a postmortem to, to kind of make sure we are in agreement on what were the learnings and how are we going to apply them in the future. All right, cool. Let's uh, continue with, um, I'm, I'm eager to hear more learnings around uh, how to build a great culture. So you were kind of asking me what's the, like, uh, how, how do I see culture? And, uh, and to me, it's, it's all about actions. So what do you as a, as a leader and the other people in your company do in practice? And, and what I mean by that is that culture is a reflection of the values of the company, but, but it's very easy to say that you have some lofty value in your company, but it's a bit harder to actually uphold those values through your own actions. So, of course, all companies have culture, but I think in many companies that culture isn't necessarily intentional or it doesn't reflect the values they might might put on their website or a or a PowerPoint presentation. It's an interesting point there with with intentional. I mean, how? Um, I mean, in in this case of, of small giant, how much would you say were uh, let's say very intentional uh, culture, and how much would you say were unintentional? Um, and I'm also guessing, you know, there's that zone where it was maybe not intentional, but you recognize that this is something worth kind of preserving and building upon. So we're now making it intentional. Maybe we can call that emergent. I would say that a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in cult culture and, and this comes back down to like the learnings I had from, from Sulake, especially on the ways that like Sulake was doing a lot of things right, but there were a lot of mistakes that were being made and I, I kind of want, did not want to repeat those those mistakes so so I would say that a lot of the small giant culture is actually intentional uh, but of course it's not just one person it's more like of when you have you start with a small group you make sure that they are at least in agreement on what what we want to build and 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 then as you hire more people like let's say who are uh, of course, you should hire for diversity, but at the same time, still like like-minded people who who fit in that culture. Uh, you you kind of take it like grow it from there. When it comes to you know intentional, do you have any was there like any, any specific you know examples or practices that you can share? I mean, you 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 kind of already gave one, which is to be very intentional in how you hire, but uh, but are there also are the other uh, examples of, of practices that that you know you would recommend to someone, you know, building a studio today. Yeah, I I actually have like a number that number of these things, kind of like aspects that define the culture of small giant, and uh, I, and I thought I would I could discuss some of them with you today, um, and I could start like, of course, 
the, these are not necessarily from the perspective of uh, like, let's say you're starting a new company, of course, your needs may be different depending on what you're building and what kind of team do you have. But, but clearly the things that we've done at Small Giant have been successful and have worked out for us. So I could approach it more from the perspective of like, what are the things that we, we value in our, our culture? And one, the first one that I want to highlight is focusing on the essential. So we've uh, always been a very small company and probably that applies to, uh, let's say, most, <laughs> most startups. Uh, so you have to be very thoughtful on where you put your effort in. And so it, it's, it means that we've been saying no to a lot of things, even, even the things that have been very, very tempting, but just like trying to keep the focus. And it's also about deciding when something is good enough, because there's the saying that perfect is the enemy of good, and I completely believe that. Uh, so, but of course, things can be iterated later as needed, and it's just about getting things done. So less talking and more doing. For example, we be very mindful of spending as little time in meetings as possible. So if there's a meeting, it should have a clear agenda. It should be as short as possible. And most importantly, the people who are participating should actually want to participate. Cool. Um, any any more um, from that list? Sure. Yeah. So, kind of you triggered, my, you triggered my curiosity there when you said you have a list and you share some of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the other aspect uh, from that is important for small giant is is trusting the team because the team members are the are the experts so the the decisions should be made by them and not the managers and i always like to say that the people at small giant have great power and great responsibility uh, so we we try to avoid any kind of hierarchy or or bureaucracy so you of course do need some processes to to support the work but those processes should be very lightweight and they should never get in the in the way of actually getting things done so when it comes uh, you know i liked what you say there with um um great responsibility um have have that ever been you know a challenge because it's it's one of those things where i think most people will say yeah you know um i want to have you know have more but but of course in some cases um uh, you know you, you can have um uh, it can also be scary, right? Yeah, I think it's uh, it. It again comes down to down to hiring a bit. So you need to hire people who you can can trust. But but I think the other aspect is this, uh, and I, I think this is also part of our part of our culture, like kind of this um, talking, like we we call it sparring, but basically talking with your colleague, like it's it's not so much about asking for permission, but more about identifying that, hey, this thing that I'm now working on, this decision that I'm trying to make is, is very risky or, or can have big consequences. And then, then talking with your colleague about it to get a second opinion. And, uh, and I think this is something that we've really tried to promote in the company and, and get the, get the people, people talking. And usually that actually results in, or like gets us much better better results and and i actually don't think or i can i can't think of uh, of cases that we would have encountered where where giving this responsibility to people would have felt like a, felt like a mistake or or we haven't had this any kind of like abuse of abuse of power people are generally like when when you give them responsibility they are they also take it 
take it seriously. But um, you know the, the the tip that you said there. Um, do I understand it right? So it's it's almost like you you always want to do a bit of a peer review or well, let's call it have a second opinion on things, and and, and you actually make that a, a value or or maybe a a practice. Is that, is that is that do I understand it correct? Exactly. Yeah. So so of course, coming from a software development background, like uh, like we. One aspect that, of course, many other companies do, but we we certainly found very helpful is is the code review process. So somebody is developing a piece of piece of software. Most of our developers are actually developing. If they develop a feature, they develop it mostly by themselves. But they first have like when when they start to implement it, they they of course have a plan like how they're going to approach it. They talk with somebody like kind of almost like a bullet point idea like this is how I'm planning to approach it. Uh, approach the implementation and they get feedback and then they get to get to work and uh, and then when when they are done they they do a pull request somebody does a code review so there's always at least two people kind of looking looking at the at the code and also of course the initial design to avoid the situation where a lot of the work would uh, have to be thrown away if the if the original approach was uh, was not the right one so so we apply that for software development, but of course you can do the same thing for anything else. Like, like say you're writing uh, writing a message to the community about an incident, like incident that we have had in the in the game, or or thinking about how the like let's say the people people ops uh, is is announcing something to the to the company and things like that. Always having a Having at least uh, at least two people involved in, in the in it. Of course, first person pro- starts with something, but then the other person usually gives a very insightful feedback, and the end result tends to be tends to be better. I think that's a, that's a very good tip. Um, you uh, you mentioned a few times um, the importance of you know recruiting the right people. How um, did you, what, what kind of strategy did you did you apply to to you know find find the people to to build a company. We were, of course, in an interesting position as a small company, uh, kind of here in Finland among the juggernauts like like uh, Rovio and, and Supercell. So so we had to be a little bit creative on, on that front. Um, so I started out hiring a couple of senior people that I already knew were like really good. Uh, but then we actually focused a lot on hiring more like junior employees and this has turned out to be a very very good strategy for us so so many of the people who who joined us uh, as as juniors are are now in a very senior roles and are actually helping to hire more more junior people so it's kind of a this positive positive cycle um how did you find them um you know recruiters um, advertising. Um, what was your method of finding all this the junior talent that then grew to become senior? Yeah, I think the the like it is easier to find junior talent than than senior talent. So in that sense, I think it was we 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 never felt like it was very difficult to find find potential candidates. Uh, initially, we were using just like LinkedIn advertising and uh, uh, and did the whole process ourselves. Uh, later, we've been using like a third party for for sourcing but of course we are still doing the interviews ourselves and and i think we've been very successful at like we have been very successful at hiring people and and i think a key part of that is is 
asking the right questions during the interview and uh, and not settling <laughs> not settling for a, just an okay candidate so um uh, it's it sounded like you had um, a nice kind of succession uh, going on there uh, with those junior that became senior and, and now hiring the new juniors um did you have or do you have a um like a special kind of like succession program you know beyond the onboarding or or or, or is that kind of, let's say more organic mm. Uh, we yeah i think i would say that it's it's more organic uh, but at the same time this is one of those things that i noticed that at sulake we we had a lot of senior senior people and we never had this junior pipeline uh, in the company which i think worked out well initially because of course senior people are more experienced but in the long term you start to have this a little bit like a stagnation <laughs> everybody is getting well certainly not getting younger and uh, and having these more junior people in the team i think they they bring this uh, certain amount of energy and enthusiasm that i think i think is very positive uh, positive for the team so so getting this positive cycle going on was definitely intentional uh, and of course it does have benefits also from like succession la- planning perspective I, I want to make sure that we, we cover you know one topic that also comes up quite often on this podcast which is how to handle uh, you know growth pain um, you know you're starting out you know you're getting 10 people 20 people and and you know as you grow and become more people you know there's there, there are challenges that comes in there I mean what what were the challenges that that you um, bumped up against as you were growing the team and and, and how did you solve that? Yeah, of course, when you're growing from five people to 13, then 30 and 70, there, there are like, like the company can potentially change quite a bit. And, uh, and there are like some of the challenges are like communication challenges, especially between, between the teams. But then there's it like, let's say the first challenge is simply like when you have a small company, everybody knows everybody. And then when you, when you start to have more people, it's, uh, it becomes there's a risk that it starts to feel less like a like a community <laughs> and uh, and that's for example one of those things where we we really try to make sure that people have a reason and and means to to connect connect with their uh, colleagues but the other part from our perspective is just also like we we've always taken a very careful approach to hiring so we hire only when there's a real need so you you kind of should need a little you should feel a little bit of a pain before you before you do the hire and again like no 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 settling so really trying to keep the bar uh, very high so that the benefit of this is that you you kind of grow even though the grow total growth in numbers is big but you do it gradually so so the new people have time to uh, like digest the 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 culture and, and at the same time you can provide them with the support that they that they need to to basically basically be set up uh, for success and of course like as you grow just trying to keep the culture in in mind so how to how to retain what what made us successful in the in the first place is there um is there anything uh, more that you think uh, we need to make sure that we don't miss out um when we're sharing um you know these tips around how to build a strong uh, culture for success sure like uh, like we we covered a couple of things i could 
if we have time, I could highlight a couple of couple of more. You know, the, 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 the final rundown thing. I mean, TV shows, I think, to do like the, they call like, like five, the, the five fast ones or things like that. <laughs> sure, sure. All right. So very briefly, like transparency is super important for us. Like, because the team members are making those decisions, they should know the full context effect that could be affecting their those decisions. So we, we try to give people as much visibility into how things are going in the company as possible. And part of the transparency is just being honest and straightforward. So meaning what you say and not shying away from these challenge, like difficult discussions, which actually takes you also to the hiring part and line management. So when you've hired a person, you can only know so much about them during that process. So when they join, uh, just making sure that they get the feedback on if there are any issues, they should get the feedback uh, on how to improve and, and doing follow, follow through. So having those tough discussions. Um, and then we kind of touched this already, but I'll, I'll simply briefly mention like, uh, we are big believers in continuous improvement. So, so you should always try to be a little bit better at what you do and, and to, to learn things, you, you should be able to experiment and to do that, people should have this sense of psychological safety. So not to be afraid of speaking up or trying new things, because when sometimes when you are trying out, out new things, you are going to fail. And while we don't necessarily celebrate failures, we, we see them as a great opportunity for learning. And then finally, uh, healthy work-life balance. So uh, people at Small Giant do 40 hours per week, and then they go home to relax and have hobbies and spend time with their family. So we don't do crunching, which is pretty rare on the game industry. And of course, there are some rare cases where there's a problem in the live game, for example, but, and you need to stay a little bit longer to fix them. But then we make sure that you get a fair compensation for that work. So that's like as a quick rundown of the of the other things that I wanted to highlight. No, but that, that, that's, that's great. And I think, um, you know, again, uh, work, you know, work life, you know, balance in, in general, um, Scandinavian companies are, you know, relatively good at, um, while at the same time, as you're saying, you know, the, the industry as a whole is, is definitely having a bit of a struggle with it. But um, um, I am, I for sure, I mean, we, we, we've both been in the industry for quite a while. And I think, I think it's gotten better. Um, I think it was, I think it used to be worse. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. So with that said, um, you know, super thanks for, for hosting, you know, these chats are, you know, they feel like they're five minutes, even though they are half an hour. Um, I think there was a lot of, uh, concrete stuff to, to take away there for, uh, for everyone. Uh, so, you know, big thanks for, for joining and I hope we, we continue the conversation in the future. No worries. It was a pleasure. <laughs> and, and to all of you, uh, listening, I, if you like this, um, you know what to do, um, share it so other can um uh, can take part and um and and you know and like and tune in to our uh, next podcast see you i hope you enjoyed that interview i certainly did if you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful then check out favor academy at favor.com they will find podcasts webinars articles, or free of charge. Check it out.